0: Hello everyone, I'm Al Deldegan, creator and producer of the Rainforest Alberta podcast, Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas. This podcast showcases those people who are working together to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Alan Marston. Alan is a father, husband, and innovator. He's also a successful corporate executive, heading up departments in business development, sales, marketing, and human resources. As a serial entrepreneur, Alan has over 18 years experience in the technology startup space and was the CEO of his own Silicon Valley company. Previously he spent 25 years in the retail business and was with a company when it created Canada's first loyalty reward card program. Alan has had several startups and successful exits, and he is currently the founder of Zenoshi.io, where he is building a universal rewards card program on the blockchain. You're about to listen to Alan's conversation with fellow Rainforester Pete LaFontaine. So let's get started. Take it away, Alan.
1: Okay, Uh, I'm Alan Marston. I'm here with the Rainforest Podcast, and I'm uh, going to be talking with Peter LaFontaine. He likes to be called Pete, so we're going to say Pete, and so welcome today, Pete. How are you doing, Alan? Uh, Nice to be here. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, especially since it's a cold and miserable day out there today. But uh, thank you for And You cycle every way, don't you?
2: I do. I'm on my fat bike, fully studded up, and I've been doing that for two years now. So that's my uh, mental health plan, which we'll end up talking about today.
1: Right on. Right on. Good, good. So I wanted to talk about, uh, let's get started with, where have you, wh- you know, what have you done? What's your journey been like? Where do you start? You know, because yep. there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this. And we're going to talk about Rainforest in a minute as well. So what brought you to that point where, you know, you ended up, uh, you know, being one of the early, early guys in Rainforest as well? Luck. <laughs> we all need a little bit of that.
2: We all need a little luck. So started uh, pretty, uh, you know, in poverty, really simple background, uh, father and mother that were in the machine uh, industry back in Ontario and uh yeah i went to business administration did some part-time work and ended up working at a place called the ontario trappers association which was in the fur industry and i uh, landed a job with the hudson bay company and i was uh, moved to this province in 1977 as a fur buyer with the hudson bay company so that was the beginning of my journey as a young man and i had a great time learning this province top to bottom buying First, basically skins, beaver mink, martin, lynx, otters, wolves, and all of that. Uh, I carried around cash in my truck, put uh, whiskey in the back seat, and uh, yeah, I was just doing the traditional fur buying thing. Then I got interested in computers, early, early computers. I was just monkeying around with little Timex Sinclairs and TSR 80s and, you know, kind of doing that stuff. And, so that uh, mid-90s or so? Yeah, no, this is in the 80s. The 80s? Wow. No, yeah. Yeah, this is like... Back in the day, yeah. so like the Apple II is still kind of early ad versions. So anyway, I uh, monkeyed around with those things and then I went to U of A and took uh, similar Fortran Cobol programming and then uh, navigated my way into Apple computers. And mm-hmm. so I was with Apple computers for nine years. So I had a great time there. That was with Steve Jobs and Wozniak and all of that crazy stuff with the early Lisa and Macintosh computer. Anyway, it was uh, lots of fun. We were in a passionate business because we were changing the world, one computer, one person at a time, and that was lots of excitement. And uh, that's where I learned to kind of drive forward on innovation. So it was always about innovation and moving forward. And had a great time there, made salesman of the world with the company, which was pretty exciting, made some money. And then they uh, decided, Scully was joined the company, and they decided they were going to shut down the business unit. And asked me to go into education and move to Toronto, and I said no. So I kept my family together, and we stayed here because we loved this place. And I we went to a place called System House, which is now HP. Right. Yeah. So we did a massive outsourcing deal with Amico, and you know I had good times there. And uh, then I went as a partner with a company called Online Business Systems, and we were writing enterprise applications for the forestry industry, healthcare, and uh, also for Wall Street. So that was lots of fun. And then uh, I sold my position in that company and I retired for a little while. I learned to uh, do what I call slipper trading, which is momentum trading on the stock market. So I had this beautiful place that overlooked the mountains and I was uh, golfing and uh, stock trading for a living. Hmm. And uh, one day I was having this crazy conversation with my dog. <laughs> and decided I needed to get back in the world. Yeah. So then I uh, got together with some friends, and a technology guy came along and showed me this crazy idea about doing a jukebox. So uh, we started a company called Zymeta, which was a video jukebox for bars and restaurants. So we cannibalized a Macintosh, tore it down to its guts, and stole its processor and motherboard and put a touchscreen on it. This was like iPod days, early yeah. iPod days. Yeah. So we were doing this all ourselves. And uh, yeah, we got a bunch of music videos. We did some fancy encoding, uh, kind of roll forward. We raised about $4 million and we built and designed a video jukebox for bars and restaurants. So it was all built with a back end in Linux. It was a touchscreen that went into bars and restaurants. Learned a lot. That was really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, an, an interesting lesson. We might come back to that one, so. Anyway, that ended up in 600 locations across Canada, and all of a sudden, we owned a closed-circuit television network, which was pretty interesting. And, boy, lots of learnings. I mean, trials and tribulations and changes and all that sort of stuff. So uh, that was lots of fun. And then... uh, yeah, I ended up with Microsoft for a little while, but I'm an entrepreneur at Spirit, although I was working at Microsoft and, you know, kind of navigating that organization, and I liked it, by the way, Dave, yeah, yeah. One thing about Microsoft they do is they have constant learning. They force learn people mm-hmm. and are trained people, which is, uh, you know, something that I'd like to bring into any new business that I do going forward. So Today, How, I'm, how uh, do they do that, Pete? How do, they, how do they force learning before you continue your story? Yeah, Um. They just basically say they have a learning management system and they say, if you're in this position within the company, this is what you got to know. And you've got to take this training. And so it's almost like an ongoing certification that you have to take the training, you have to pass and you have to keep it together. So for somebody that wants to learn, it's like awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's like being paid to be at school. It's fantastic. So I ate it up. You know, you get up nice and early in the morning at 4 o'clock and jump on your uh, indoor bike and throw on a lesson and off you go,
1: right? Mm-hmm. So it's just
2: it's great. Right, right.
1: Okay, good. So yeah. Microsoft, and then what came after that?
2: So after that, what I'm doing now, basically. Yeah, so I've been very focused in, uh, I kind of got in what I call lazy philanthropy for a while, which is, you know, you go to banquets and you write checks and you feel good about, you know, Mm -hmm. saying, thinking that you're being helping things. And then uh, I got more proactively involved because of a friend of mine, uh, dear friend, Tom Fredericks. He's my mentor. And so he's got a little thing called ECL Choppers for Charity. And basically we donate a Harley Davidson and a Vespa and we raffle off tickets for the children's hospice Mm -hmm. in town here. So it's a way for us to get in front of the public. And I've got my, what I call my fuddy-duddy buddies. And we go out there and sell tickets. So last year we wrote a check for $200,000 to the children's hospice. I don't even Lots of people don't even know there is one of those in town. But we continue to do that. Um, and then I've been on this bent now to kind of help the, uh, the charity world, or if you will, um, the need world. Um, And the bent that I'm on right now is to build social enterprises. So to potentially convert some of the charities that are out there and turn them into profitable organizations. So the whole idea of purpose and profitable Mm -hmm. is the model. So, and it's very in vogue right now, companies want to have purpose leading their profitability because it's the right thing to be doing. And it's a great way to attract customers. It's a great way to attract and retain employees a great way to have an inventive spirit and attract the right people so it's what I'm doing and uh, yeah that's right and then of course the rainforest
1: right so uh, before we get to the rainforest though you've done a lot of interesting stuff already I can tell I me mean, from Apple to Microsoft to all the other companies in yeah. between uh, what was the most interesting thing you ever did was it the video jukebox was it what was it
2: yeah, without a doubt. Like you know, Apple was fun and interesting for sure. Like that, they were always inventing a new product to take to market and changing you know people's lives with these little Macintoshes and making a lot of money. Was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Zymeta experience was the biggest learning, mm-hmm. and I mean, I loved it because it was like we did it right from scratch to a finished product. Everything from manufacturing, design, electronics, componentry, software, you name it. You know, people, managing people, everything. Having the cold sweats of wondering whether you're going to make payroll or not. Right. Wondering what the heck did you ever do getting into this? Yeah. And then coming out. So, you know, it was just too much. Well, just very interesting.
1: Right. So then Rainforest comes along and... uh, you're one of the early guys even some I've heard some people actually say that you're one of the co-founders because you were there so early uh, why Rainforest? what was the motivation the driving force
2: behind rainforest well I've learned to love this province and this city deeply and uh, feel that it's our responsibility to uh, to help and to get be involved so the rainforest, its mission is really um, to help diversify this province's economy. Hydrocarbon business is very important to us. Hydrocarbon innovation is very important to us and it's part of it, but being able to find new avenues and new revenues and diversify our, our skill set here in the province is critical. So to build a, a technology ecosystem, if you will. Uh, or rather just an innovation ecosystem where we're innovation on, you know, the people level, the process pe- process level and the technology level. But the whole idea of the rainforest is, is to build a diversified province. So it's a building an innovation ecosystem, basically, to bring together the people, the money, the talent, the will, all under kind of one roof. And it, it's a society, if you will, or a, mo- a movement. That's a pay it forward group. So we're not there to make a bunch of money off one another there. We're there to help one another incubate new businesses and grow new businesses, small, middle, middle size and large businesses together. So it's uh, got 2,200 members now. It's growing. We're just kicking that into a new gear. So the government's tried to do this
1: before though. And uh, uh, what's, what do you think? Why do you think this
2: is going to be successful? Yeah, That's a really brilliant observation. Um, government needs people to step up and to help them. Government has a hard time making all of the decisions. And uh, quite frankly, innovation and government are kind of a little inconsistent in the same sentence. So government's important. You know, we need to have good rule. We have to have good policy. We have to have, uh, you know, safety and security for our citizens. But we also need to have uh, innovation and in a private sector that's driving forward, and moving things forward. And for us to kind of wait for the government or have the government do it, um, it's it just doesn't typically take hold because it's a government program It needs to be driven by passion and entrepreneurs and money and private sector. and. Very
1: good points. Yeah, so that's,
2: uh, you know, we need to work together, basically. So they should probably, in some of those cases, uh, get out of the way a wee bit.
1: Right. And let it happen. So if you're a successful CEO, a successful CMO, a successful CTO, you're already in a company. uh, Why are those the kind of people should come to Rainforest? Why should they come to Rainforest? What's in it for them at Rainforest? Or... I mean, I'm trying to figure out why people that are already in business, being there five, ten years, why they need to be there.
2: Well, that's another great question, and they should be there. So, number one, um, being in business and just going out there and growing your business is a great thing. And so, all you do is, like, expand and employ people and your business is doing great, fantastic, pay your taxes. That's exactly what we need. However, uh, there are leaders out there who have – Uh, The vision that says, you know, if I get involved in this thing, number one, um, it's a leadership model. My employees can see me doing this, number one. So it's a good leader model. Um, There may be some new potential employees for them there. Uh, It may be a way for them to discover new ways to innovate their own business so that they don't get disrupted in the marketplace. This may be a way for them to find a new partnership another business to do business with or collaborate and become a stronger business because they've collaborated. So that's the reason you're going to want to come out. There are scientists there, there are researchers, there's universities, there's free resources that they might not know about. So, and plus a bunch of great people. Like, I mean, motivated, interesting, driven people. Also there's capital people there with money that are showing up, investors that are looking for interesting investment. And what business uh, leader uh, doesn't come up to a situation either needing new banking, new financing, or financing a new invention and that sort of stuff. So all of that kind of falls into that space. So I I would ask why wouldn't they come out? Last question
1: on the rainforest is, I know that when I joined the rainforest uh, over a year ago, I wasn't coming out regularly. I came out the first time, very excited, then got busy with my I life. Noticed I
2: noticed
1: that, Alan. <laughs> it was true. I'm being transparent. <laughs> I ended up traveling a lot. So that was one of the excuses, but I noticed that now that I'm coming back every single week, I try never to miss a week. uh, uh there is a reason why someone should do that because there's new people all the time. Uh, I'm sure that's something you would encourage because I see you there all the time.
2: Yeah. So part of innovation, part of changing, uh, part of making things happen, as you may know, uh, like a good exercise program, you can't just do an exercise program once a year. Right. So there's a thing that I like to say called cadence. So if you actually go out and repeat and get to see these people, it's building a relationship. And every time you have a conversation there, as you probably know now, it's a slightly different conversation with somebody new and interesting. And and you continually make these co- sort of discoveries. So keeps your brain active, keeps you active, and then the repeat com- coming out, you know, that's good to come to lunch without lunch, but really good for people who actually uh, snag onto our Slack channel and then start finding the after-hour groups that are happening now. So we have a lot of... Sp- offshoots from the, the rainforest um, which actually I should talk about some of the offshoots in the rainforest because that's quite significant too but lots of people that meet five to nine that are specializing in anything from uh, robotics to artificial intelligence to blockchain to even medical um, neurology you name it like I mean there's lots of different groups. I
1: know that you could talk Uh, for a lot longer (laughs) about Rainforest but I also want to talk to you about a lot of problems that we have in society today everything from poverty to homelessness and there's so many you're tackling and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today was you're tackling a major major problem uh, in society and uh, I would like to know uh, where you're at with that and uh, tell us first what the problem is and that you're um, sinking your teeth into it now
2: yeah so that kind of takes me to what I'm going to be doing for the next five and ten or 15 or maybe 30 years um, I call myself the social good interloper um, and I say that in a kind of a special way uh, we, have, we can all do better people can all do better and the big challenge that the world's facing right now is mental illness mental health So there's a lot of anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, uh, excessive worry. And it leads people uh, often down a path of uh, addictions and self-medications. And it's a $51 billion problem in Canada alone. So the economic impact is enormous. The human impact is worse. You know, people lose lives, they lose their uh, families, they lose direction, uh, they lose hope. Um, the suicide rate is like crazy out there. Uh, and that's very costly, so there's an economic impact as well. So, And I am a, I'm not a socialist, I am a capitalist with a social kind of a spin to me, I guess. But uh, what we're going to do in mental health is uh, we're going to try to get ahead of this curve because the current healthcare system, God love it. And the people who are out there to help people that are in stress, God love them. But we need to get ahead of this. Um, We need to find a way for people not to get to the point of addictions or abuse or depression or anxiety as much as we can. And so I've had the real privilege because of the rainforest and meeting some amazing people there and some of the other stuff I've done um, to come up with this concept of democratizing mental health services. Wow. Basically, what we want to do is uh, is build some technology using a little bit of artificial intelligence. I've got the backing of some brilliant, brilliant psychologists, psychiatrists, brain researchers, neurologists. and uh, And this is case-based. Uh, Client based and clinic based evidence. So, we're not doing anything that's crazy. We're going to do everything um, based on good science, good medicine. But what we want to do is basically offer uh, mental health services for a dollar a month to everybody, anywhere, anytime they need it. So, we've learned a lot. Uh, I've learned a ton. And uh, I think we can do this. There's a, a basically an app that you're going to be able to get into there and talk to, and it'll help you assess your brain, help you understand your kind of pre-wired conditions, your family history, kind of where you are and how you've navigated to where you are in life, and to help people create a map for themselves so that they can steer their brains forward. There's a thing called uh, neural plasticity which means that uh, just like your arm muscle, your brain can become stronger and can change and you can actually make it stronger. So if we know that and we can see how that works, we can use technology to move ourselves forward so that a mom with two kids that can't afford a psychologist or can't afford the time to get away, what do they do? Where do they turn? So what I want to do is be able to make this available to everybody. So we want to do it in languages as well. So we want to do it in English, French, and Spanish initially uh, and make this service uh, available so that people can actually get a path for their own brain. We're going to let people do it anonymously. So you'll always be an avatar in the system, which is extremely interesting and important because when we uh, did our focus groups, people don't want to uh, expose their personal uh, mental well-being
1: there's still a stigma to that.
2: Huge. Yeah. Like people are afraid to say it. There's, uh, you know, it's a machismo thing for men often. Uh, fear thing for women. Uh, possibly, you know, if you imagine yourself a young mother with two kids and you start saying you might be having mental problems or your kids are acting up, they might want to take your kids away. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lots of policy and stigma associated with putting your hand up. So we got a lot of education to do. But if we can start by creating this app, and creating the awareness and the stuff that's going on with, you know, Bell Talk and, you know, all of these other stuff, eventually I think we'll kind of get away from the stigma. The vision I have for that is that if one day we can wake up and we wear a badge and it actually shows us what kind of brain we are, what the research shows us is that mental illness and OCD and ADHD and some of these other what we would call illnesses or dysfunctions. It's just a hyperactive brain. It's just a really good brain, quite frankly. chemical functions in the brain. Yeah. And if you can channel that brain properly and train that brain properly, it can do amazing things. Like, you know, you you see where there's using uh, for doing uh, cyber work, you know, people with autism and that sort of stuff because they've got special skills. Mm -hmm. But we all have special skills and that. That hyperactive brain is just a brain. Everybody's got a little bit of all of these things in it. Just you've been pre-wired with it. And then it's uh, you learn because of either your social economic background or the parenting or the various traumas that you might run into in your life. Those hyperactive brains are uh, uh, predisposed to actually going to the dark side. They have a hard time shutting off sometimes. They have a hard time sleeping, and therefore that's where the medication comes in or the self-medication self-medica- or the addictions may come in. So it, it's be quite revealing, uh, the stuff we know now and interesting, and if we can get people to get ahead of it so that they don't get to that darkness or get themselves into a situation where they're abusing themselves or others or falling into some of those traps, um... It's estimated right now that 82% of the marketplace do not have access or don't know how to get access to proper psychology or medical, mental health uh, programs. They're out there. People just have to know how to navigate to them. So I'm not trying to replace any of those. We just want to create a hub for people to go in there and understand themselves. That would be the first part. And then understand all of the other pieces of of healthcare. So, you know, understanding the importance of physical exercise and nutrition and sleep, understanding cognitive-based therapies, understanding emotional uh, intelligence and empathy and all those things that we need to learn. Understanding purpose, how to channel their own purpose, their special skills and find their way, whether that be through their jobs or to charities or hobbies. Help them navigate to uh, effective communities because people need good community. Human Humans were never meant to uh, be isolated and live by themselves or try to do everything by themselves. It's just genetic. So
1: outside of navigating to those people, though, are they going to be able to actually talk with somebody on the app?
2: Um, we're going to have it so that if you do want to speak to somebody, we'll never out you. Like if you want to actually speak to somebody, there are people to talk to. hmm and absolutely. But right now it's going to be an electronic interface and you're going to be talking to a bit of a bot for a while that'll help you through this. You've seen some of the new technologies for you know artificial intelligence, but it's going to get fairly sophisticated. But this isn't to suggest that you don't need to go and see an MD or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Like those are very important services. And I'm not suggesting that computers are going to replace that anytime soon at all. We just want a portal for people to become aware on how to help themselves that's effective and then where are the available resources out there and they are there we just have to help them understand how to get it so uh,
1: Pete with uh, with what you're building are you building it as a for profit as a non-profit as a what what are you doing with it
2: well and we're going to build it as a purpose-profitable business. Um, to be out on the charity handout circuits, a tough road. to hoe. it's uh, hard to you know to build a scalable, um, resilient business or entity, uh, but always be depending on government grants and/or handout grants. It's a very tough model, and it's there's like I don't know something like eleven to fourteen thousand charities in Alberta alone. So to build some sort of sustainability and scalability into this, it needs to be able to drive a bit of money. So basically, like I said, we're going to do it for a dollar a month. That's not a lot of money, obviously, but if you get 2% of Canadians doing this thing, uh, that would generate about $700,000 a month. We can do some pretty good technology for $700,000 a month and hire a few people and do some marketing. and. And there's all kinds of other stuff we can do uh, associated with this this mental health app to, to drive revenues. So we're not trying to become rich on this, but, you know, we want to be paid so that we can pay for good marketing and good sales and, and to really take on this mental health challenge uh,
1: with some gusto. So uh, sounds like, a, as I said, and I've been very interested in this project ever since you started talking about it, what... Uh, uh, what's the time frame for something like this? What are you looking for? What do you need? People are listening to this right now, and uh, they're wondering, how can I be a part of this? How can I help?
2: Well, we're gathering a few funders, so if anybody's interested in participating on the funding front, we can have that conversation. Um, I've been fortunate enough to find, but we're always looking for people that are passionately interested in this space that can bring skills, either technology, marketing, uh, personal experience, you know, I mean, everything comes into play here, nutrition, neurology. Like I'm working and I'm going to do a shout out for uh, Crystal Phillips here with the Branch Out Foundation. She's heading up an amazing organization that is focusing on uh, non-pharmaceutical neurological research studies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're looking for people to get involved in that as well. So you might want to join me on my biking team. I'm going to bike the top of uh, Panorama Mountain down and loop the lake and back up the mountain. If anybody's interested in doing that next August, join my team. We're going to raise some money. Last year, we were able to raise about $2 million doing that. Wow. Anyway, so it's now is what we're doing, and I'm looking for people to cooperate. I'm also uh, getting connected up with the Mental Health Association and Mental Health and Addictions Organizations and some of the other current services that are in the space. Um, but we are going to do it as a social enterprise, so we can move as fast as we can on this, so that we can take on the challenges that we're facing right now.
1: Has the organization got a name? Yeah, the, we're uh, kick,
2: we're kicking it around right now, but <laughs> seeds, seeds, and raindrops. It's kind of been bubbling around. I wanted to call it Crazy Good, but I've been yeah. voted down. Right. Apparently, I'm not allowed to do that. So <laughs> I think yeah. it's seeds and raindrops, maybe. Right. <laughs> good. Good.
1: So, people can always find you at, at uh, Lunch Without Lunch uh, at the Rainforest anyway. Yeah, you know, they can find connect me, with you
2: there. Find me on LinkedIn or at the Rainforest, and it's peter.lafontaine at windhelix.com. W I N H E L I X.com.
1: Well, that's great, Pete. Thank you so much on this cold, miserable day out there. You've taken the time to get down here, bike down here, and, uh, and share what you're doing and what you've done in the past, your journey, and we really, really appreciate it here at the Rainforest Podcast. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Alan.
0: If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This podcast was made possible by a generous contribution from Zinc Ventures and is hosted by volunteers from Rainforest Alberta. Music for the show was created by King Auroras. Be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also. Don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event to let us know what you think of this podcast. If you are interested in being either a host or a guest of the show, send me an email at rfapodcast at lineitup.ca. Thanks for listening.